Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. It's Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. And it's Tuesday for eight years. I've been right here doing the nonprofit exchange where we interview people, been there, done that, have some expertise, some wisdom, experience, and maybe some ideas of what you shouldn't do because we all learn from things that, oops, I didn't mean that. We learned, we learned about it. So here we are at the nonprofit exchange. And today I have a new friend and we are very, very well connected because our topic is, it's not her topic, but she's going to tell you, it's boring, unproductive meetings. I'm sure everybody's at least attended one and maybe people have attended have been responsible for conducting one. No. So, uh, Kathleen is an expert in what we call facilitation. And our grief is there's not many people understand why they need a facilitator. So we're going to talk about that today and talk about some tips of how you can eliminate boring, unproductive meetings. The number one team killer for nonprofit board meetings and maybe staff meetings. So Kathleen, our, our topic today is a good one. It's, uh, I'm going to read it from, from what we're, uh, let me see, what is it? Oh, it is foolproof, <laughs> foolproof facilitation practices. So first, before we get into that topic, would you tell people a little bit about yourself and why do you, why are you a facilitator? Okay, I will. So I um, started my professional career in the nonprofit sector. And I did program things for kids and families who had disabilities. But then I started doing public relations and fundraising. And so I ended up having to do public speaking. And that was a gift because I learned. But it came to me over time. I was in that field about 12 years. And I re it seemed to me like if you asked people the right kind of questions, people could figure out their own answers. Well, at the time, I didn't know that was a profession. That's what facilitators do. And so I became a facilitator because it's a way of tapping into the group's wisdom because any group knows their stuff. They just don't know how to share their stuff with each other so they can identify the areas of alignment so they can work more effectively together. And the same holds true with how they conduct meetings. Oh, you know, we don't know how to talk to each other anymore. We have these devices and we send texts and we send emails and we wonder how people under, understand. So you get people together and you provide a place where people can come together with their best thinking. And then, then you help them make sense out of it and structure it going forward. So you, you have a plan you're working on or something that you're working on that you, you facilitate the process, but there's a specific goal in, that you have in mind. So, um, what happens, you know, you're you're putting down details of your plan or, or whatever. What happens in the group in the process? Is there a byproduct of this work that we're doing that that Im impacts the culture of the group? Always. So the design of the meeting is always driven by what they need to accomplish. So like, why are we here? Why is this worth our time, effort and resources? So everybody knows. I mean, that's where we start the meeting. What's the point? I mean, that's my shortcut statement like what's the point point? 
And so everyone knows what that is. And then there's, I'm a process expert, which means I never give them any of my content. I'm neutral, but I give them the steps to follow so they can gather their information, merge it in a way that makes sense to them so they can actually do something with it. That is profound. <laughs> you know, <laughs> simple when you state it, but <clears throat> having been a facilitator for, <clears throat> excuse me, um, 30, 33 years, somewhere in there, um, no two events have been alike. And, and so um, so how is the group different? You know, you've you've worked on them with them on a project or a, maybe it's a process. You, you know, we think they think, oh, here's an event. We're doing a planning event. But really, you're, it's part of a long going process, ongoing process, isn't it? So uh, how is the group different after you lead a session? So whether it's a one-time meeting with a workshop question that everyone wants to answer together, or it's a strategic planning, which is a series of sessions like that, what people get at the end, no matter what the topic has been, is an increased appreciation for the diverse perspectives and how they can be woven together so that the areas of alignment get named in a way that they all actually have authentic consensus. Now, consensus is kind of a, a, a tough word for some people because they've been in torturous consensus processes. The one that I've been fortunate to learn is not torturous because it takes everyone's ideas, no one's ideas get rejected, and they get to find what the connection and the relationship is between their ideas and vet them and then say, oh, so these are the nubs of what it is we both, we all want. And so now we just, now we ask the question, the how. So we kind of often start with the what, which is often the vision, you know, where do we want to be three years from now? But once they've answered that, now it's the how. And so everyone's got great ideas about that as well. But it's organizing the ideas, getting them up on a sticky wall so people can see them and ask for questions of clarification. And then these nubs that I'm calling nubs, those are the consensus points. Then everyone's on the same page, literally. And the way they got there was through a level playing field. No one person's idea gets more weight than another. That is so good because we we all have ideas. And in some meetings, there's a implied power system where some people talk and some people don't. And people don't think have permission. So I can imagine being in one of your sessions and how you prompt input from everybody. Hey. Hey, George, you've been sitting there thinking, what's going on? You know, you want to add to this conversation. And George has been thinking about it. Other people are just talking off the top of their head. So right. if you don't listen to George, that's a mistake, right? Right. And we don't ever put anybody on the spot, but we start the meeting by making sure we hear everyone's voice in the beginning. We also have alternative ways for people to get their perspective out. So some people aren't good in groups. So they can write their ideas on these half sheets and they meet in small groups. Have you heard the... Uh, the distinction between crockpot thinkers and microwave thinkers? No. Well, I, I really love it because it's, it's like talking about people who are introverted thinkers, which means if you don't give them time to cogitate a little bit, you're not going to get their best thinking. So those are crockpot thinkers. And so toward the end of this conversation, then you want to just leave some space and say, okay, so what other perspectives have occurred to you as we've had this conversation? And that's where sometimes they come up with the gems. They maybe they haven't been talking much, but then they nail it. And it's like, oh yeah, that's it. So so Kathleen, you're you're um part of um 
an association called the Institute for Cultural Affairs, right? Well, I'm one of their licensed trainers and facilitators, yes. So people probably don't know about that. I've had um, limited encounter and been trained by some experts like you from that. And the tools that they have are some that I use a lot. And I had forgotten about one until we talked today. But um, I'm going to ask about a couple of specific tools. But talk about why you're there. And one of the, the anchor tools has been so helpful, especially today when um, <laughs> people aren't talking to each other. It's the focused conversation. So why? And then talk about that as, as an anchor for getting people to share their feelings. Sure. So they've designed it based on our natural thinking process. Hmm. So it's what we do all the time. And one of the examples I use in the training is how many people have used an alarm clock. So we take in life with our senses and no choice about that. And then we have these automatic reactions. We either like something or we don't. And then we make, we take what we've seen or heard and our reaction to it. And then we start making sense of it. Like what meaning does this have for me? What's the significance of it? And then by that, we then determine a decision or maybe a shift in perspective. And so the focus conversation method takes people through that natural thinking process so that everyone gets a broader, richer experience of maybe a shared viewing of a video or reading an article or reading an evaluation report. People tune into different things. This is a way to make sure everybody takes everything into account and not just the things that caught their attention. So it's a gift. It's really a gift. Um, we used it after 9-11. We, I mean, you can't, there's no place you can't use it. In, in um, you talked about looking at the future and then coming backwards and creating a process to get there. So yes. it's so important that groups um, focus on where they they can be. Now, we have this bad word that we all use called nonprofit, and we use it ourselves, but it, it really um, puts people into a scarcity thinking mode, which is horrible. I'm with you. <laughs> so uh, one of the, um, one of the, t the tools is uh, for uh, force field analysis, but a future visioning, you know, where are we now? <clears throat> where do we want to be? And then what are the steps to get there? So how does that help people get out of their, minimalist thinking I, it happens in business too so it's just not you know. oh sure well it's actually pretty fun um because when i do a vision session i start it with a visualization and i give people a fictitious premise of success say imagine it's three years from now and you've achieved so we start with a focus question that says what do we need the plan to do for us and so they've already reviewed that and then i use that to populate a whole bunch of questions where they just get to daydream People get quiet for like six minutes or seven minutes. I ask a series of questions, but the premise is it's three years from now. You've been so successful. You're going to be the feature cover story on Time Magazine because you made so many significant changes in the last three years. And you're going to be interviewed by the photojournalist to find out how did you do that? So now everyone's, and, and then I do all these questions that are about the things they care about. And so everyone's got their imaginations twirling and they get a little quiet time to jot down their own thinking and say, what do I see? What? Because everyone is carrying around hopes and dreams, but we rarely articulate them together. And that's what this vision process invites. And so then they find out that they have shared hopes and dreams that they never really put on paper. And so it's, a, it's really fun for them to see the light bulbs go on. And, and at the end, one of the most common comments is, 
I had no idea we thought so much alike. And that's the power of consensus. And I find that very, very few people understand what consensus is. Right. And there's even some confusion that consensus and compromise are the same when they're actually 180 degrees different. Mm -hmm. They're the opposites. When, 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 or lose, lose. What are you going to, what are you going to choose? Yeah. 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 I'm not a fan of voting. And that's why this process helps you avoid voting because the voting creates winners and losers. Oh, gosh. And and if you have, I've lobbied for a long time. The, the general thinking is you have to have an odd number of people on your boards to break a tie vote. But if it comes down to a tie vote, you shouldn't have a vote because <laughs> yeah. you're creating this, you know, dissent right there. You're creating a problem. Yeah. So learning to make decisions by consensus might take a little longer. But my definition is it's it's um it's a decision hammered and group process that that that's backed by relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to piggyback on your comment about the nonprofit term. Yeah. I, I, I have this fantasy of I've written a few articles and like I want to put together a booklet because nonprofit is sends a subliminal message that's inaccurate saying you can't make a profit. It's like you better make a profit. And so to undo that subliminal thinking takes some doing. And we, we've inherited um, bad models for leadership, and we've inherited, inherited um, substandard processes, and we continue to repeat them, like running bad meetings. You know, we continue to run bad meetings. We got two hours. We're going to fill it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what is yeah. it? Ben, ben DeFeel said that uh, work expands to fill the time allotted. I don't subscribe to that philosophy to you. <laughs> Well, no, but I mean, it happens all the time. So let's surmise, oh gosh, people, and if you dismiss them early, they kind of wait around thinking, did I miss something? No. <laughs> Could this be true? Did a good job. You were very efficient. So you're going to do a future visioning, which is probably a good starting point for people to think possibilities. Right. I have found on occasions, now not always, but there's been some things to surface, I thought maybe we ought to sit down and have a powwow. So part of this focused conversation, which is really a brilliant model, um, is you're seated and you don't write on the board. You don't write things, but you right. listen. And there's the employment of uh, silence. Why is silence important in, in that kind of exercise or even in all of the facilitation? Well, since one of the grounding values in facilitating is inclusive participation and profound respect. Those are the two core ones. If you ask people questions and then you don't give them a chance to answer, then you've undone the intent you came in with. And so when I'm training people, I tell them the more silence you use, the more you're validating and you're demonstrating your commitment to hear from them. And so if you, and, and I know a lot of facilitators and, and folks maybe who aren't even trained who will ask really terrific thought-provoking questions and then not give people a chance to think. You know, you just asked a pretty great question based on the conversation we just had. And so then <laughs> what I tell people to do is just, if you have to count in your mind, do that, but adopt the Mona Lisa smile and just stand and look around the room slowly and someone else is going to break the silence because they can't stand it. But it shouldn't be you. It shouldn't be the facilitator. I had a had a um, planning session for a church board, 
and we split it. I find that if we do um, expanding the information and brainstorming and future visioning on a Friday night, then we come back on Saturday, they thought about it, and then we can lay down a track. And actually, if you yep. split up, people aren't tired, you can get twice as much done. That's my favorite schedule. I don't always get to have it, but yeah. Isn't that great? So oh, it's the best. We have so much in common. I'm just, you know, when I go to facilitator conferences, we're happy to be together with people that know what we do because so many people, <laughs> people run bad meetings. They don't know that there are others that could help them be more productive. So during this planning session, the, the board was complaining about nobody volunteers. Nobody will step up to do this. Nobody wants to do this. So we came down to the final close and we had four initiatives that they okay. want to have. Here's four initiatives. So I said, okay, who will do this one? Crickets. I went to the next one. Who will do this one? Crickets. I did all four, nothing. So I just sat down, stared at them. And five minutes went by. It was a pregnant pause, five minutes. And then one person says, I'll do that communication thing. And then pop, pop, pop. Other people, because they thought they were going to be in a trench forever. I said, this means that you're going to do it from now until your next board meeting. You're taking this ball, you're taking it forward. People will either adopt it and have an initiative or it'll die. But your responsibility is to bring a plan to the board meeting. So they, oh, I don't want to get in forever. So that was... It was hard, but that silence was powerful. Have you had a similar story about how silence has helped people come up to the plate? Well, it is uncomfortable. People don't like it, but it is. Remember, I talked about the crockpot thinkers. It gives them a chance to think. And, you know, and the people that are microwave thinkers, they can blab something out in a heartbeat. That's me. I can tell you something. But is it rich? Well, sometimes, but maybe not. But the silence piece, I'm trying to think if there is an example. Yeah, mine, I haven't had to do the five minute thing. Um, when I ask who's willing, I sometimes shift the question and I say, who what, which of these areas do you have interest in and put your name on a post-it and go put it by the one of the four. And then when they see that other people are interested too, then they become a team and then people aren't so reluctant to go forward. It's like, and then they may not always be able to stay on the one they chose. We ask people to migrate if we don't have the right balance of people, but yeah. it gets people off the dime. Yeah. So in um, one of the things that I model for people is that people show up with a yellow tablet and people come in, what do you want to talk about today? You, you realize they haven't spent any time planning, so they're going to waste your time. <laughs> yes. So what I learned as a conductor is I spend one to two, uh, two to three hours for every hour of rehearsal, preparing for that hour rehearsal. And I use the same formula when I'm facilitating a meeting because, you know, by golly, it's important work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's how I've been my projects. For every hour I'm with the client, there's at least two or three behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think when people are paying us, they don't realize, they say, we just show up and you're going to be there for five hours, six hours, eight hours, whatever. That's the, no, no. It's a 16 to 24 hour engagement just doing that. And then there's the debrief afterward, because I find that people need to think in terms of key next steps and how they're going to, you know, the, the integration from strategy to performance is a yeah. big deal. So how do you yeah. help think about the impl implementation of these good ideas? Well, there's I have a full the fully developed implementation framework that can be modified based on the scope of the project. So if it's the end of strategic planning, we've already developed strategic direction teams. They know what their quarter chunks of work are for the next 12 months. And that's the one-year chunk toward achieving the three-year vision. So they all know that, but then they have to put 
details down to ju in just the first quarter, what who's going to do what by when kind of a stuff. So the implementation framework is one of the downbeats of the process I offer. And I also make sure that I come back and do the first quarter progress meeting because I learned early on that if that people will find reasons to not do the first quarter progress meeting because they don't think they've done enough. And that's never the case, but they hesitate, they postpone. So if they're paying me to come back, they show up. And the truth is they've almost always done a pretty good job. That's, that's an important detail. I'm learning something here. So um, I always hang around people smarter than me. Um, David Dunworth, our board chair for Center Vision, has joined us, and uh, he's been with me. And you mentioned, I want to clarify a point. You mentioned half sheets, and I'm going to, for people oh, yeah. watching, um, here's, a, here's a picture of half sheets on one of my programs, so my, one of my learning programs. But talk about half sheets and how you use them and why that's important. Okay, so it would look something like that once we're done, except the cards underneath the titles and, uh, and the titles, it's all handwritten with marker on white half sheets. So during the brainstorm, people do their individual brainstorm on paper with pen. They get into small groups, share those ideas, pick the ones they want to put on half sheets, and then we bring them up in rounds till we have 35 to 45 ideas up on the wall that they organize in similar clusters and then we name the clusters like you have them. And we'll put them sometimes in columns like that. But what's it on the top is the way they name each column. And that's where the consensus resides. They don't all have to agree with all the ideas underneath, but they often share the same intent. And what is that intent? And that's what the group together names. And that's where they're... So at the end, they get to say, wow, we all want these six things. I call it visually displayed thinking. Actually, the... Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Mike Vance, who worked for the Disney Corporation, did all their strategic planning right. storyboards. Yes. And then I've taken it and make it, you know, fine-tuned it over the years. So yeah. what I discovered is by people doing what you just described, something happens in the culture. And so people want me to do team building. Unless, and I talked to a bishop and wanted me to work with his cabinet and do team building. And I, you know, I had no jobs. I just left 40 years of music ministry and I was being mouthy saying, well, let's do something useful. And I said, you give me a project and I'll deliver you a focused team. And he said, oh, I like that. So the difference to me in using chart pads, you know, I did, uh, we're talking about ending early. I did a strategy for the Lynchburg Symphony. It was an eight hour session. We finished in five and a half hours because they were very focused and we had done a picture visioning, you know, before. So we just kind of went into a flow, but we had 137 of these half sheets. Now, if I had turned around and written on chart pads 137 times, that's probably 137 minutes that are dead space. So talk about the value you see in storyboarding. I'm going to let David comment on that too. Well, because they're jotting down the ideas. They have the whole process intended. They have ownership. This is their content. They own it. They now understand what each idea means. They see what relationship exists between the ideas. So it's their work. I mean, the biggest compliment I can get is the group applauding itself. It's like, oh, wow, look what we created. And it's the truth. They did. I guided them. Absolutely. But it's their work and they did it. And they're proud of it, too. You so bet. David's been in numerous sessions with me, haven't you, David? And yeah. We've been uh, together in Virginia as well as in Florida doing uh, this type of work. And it's a it's really far more productive than 
you know, at the uh, blink of an eye, you're looking, oh, that sounds good. It's really, it really pulls the information together by people who are willing to then sign on, if you will, and and say, yeah, that's, you know, I adopt that. That's so it's, it's terrific. It's a terrific program. And yeah, I'm glad you, you spent some time on it. Thank you. Well, when you asked about implementation, we make sure that those first quarter projects, every team says, what vision element does this link us back to? Like, mm-hmm. why is this project going to get us toward the vision and which vision elements? And the fun thing is for them to see that one simple one quarter project might really touch two or three vision elements, not just one. And so they get to see the integrated effort and and they get to work in a more integrated way because teams have people from different departments on them. So it undoes the silo effect. Um, So absolutely. Um, And this, yeah, that's that's a big deal, what you just said. Say that again. (laughs) So having various representatives from various departments doing the brainstorming, getting the ideas up, and then choosing which projects and, and implementing them, they get to appreciate what each other brings to it. But now, unconsciously or invisibly, it's undoing the silo effect. Mm-hmm. That is a big deal. Right. Their perspective has broadened Yeah. rather than their myopic view of, oh, my department, my worries, my trouble to, right. oh, look. You know, we've got opportunities to improve in multiple areas just because you went through that exercise. Yeah. And there's so many nuances to the process. So when the ideas come up, people don't know whose they are. So there's some anonymity. And so now the focus is on the what and the content of the idea, not where it came from. Because if you got a grudge with Joe, he could find a cure for cancer and you'd still reject it because Joe came up with it. And so now they don't, they're focused on the content and the relationships between the ideas. And so that gets them much further. So the, the, the reason to engage a skill facilitator is all of these reasons you talked about, but it's really um, letting the leader step out of the content, their step into the content role and out of the process role. Yes. And they can watch us sweat <laughs> and, and have a good time with it. But also it's if leaders are aware they can they can experience how the team works together in a very different way because somebody else is leading the process. So how is that valuable for leaders having somebody like you come in? Well, they get a model. They see how it could be, and that because it's not these methods are not anti hierarchy. Hierarchy has its place, but when leaders say, "I want your perspective," but they don't know exactly how to get it and use it, then employees feel like, well, why'd you bother asking? Because they don't know the right steps. And the other gift that happens is when they experience it, I've got a number of clients who send people to the facilitation training I do so they can learn and the methodologies and change the culture of the organization. I call it, it's like an operating system. You know, we use our computers. We don't see what's going on behind the scenes. But when people get used to these methods and the steps, then it's just how you get work done. And when you're always including all perspectives, good things happen. Yeah, some leaders are afraid to ask for opinions because they feel like they're bound to use them. When you use this process, all the ideas go up. And then if you you ever use multi-dotting where people can put dots on their two top ideas, then you can see where the group energy is. And if there's a radical idea, 
it's still been expressed, but it, the, the person finds out there's not really support for that idea. Well, and the leader can also say, I'm going to take all your input and really go in the direction you want, or I want your input, but I'm going to decide. So it's about managing expectations because the leaders within their rights to say, hey, this is my thing. And, but I do want to know other ways of thinking of it, but I'm going to take it, I'm going to digest it, and I'm going to put my spin on it and go. When I studied facilitation, it was very clear that you put up the, um, it was outcomes, but now it's moved to deliverables. What are specific, when you walk away from the meeting, what are the things you're going to have accomplished? So we define those in very specific terms. Yeah, I also yeah. found out just as important is off limits. These are things we're not going to do. For instance, if we're going to plan major initiatives, we don't have time to do the details. And so putting up what we're not going to do, how do you, what is your, your planning model? Well, so using the what you just started, so say there's a project or there's multiple ones, each team's got one. Everyone agrees with what the outcome has been described, the deliverable. Yes, we want to revise and update our bylaws. Yes, we all agree with that. But the how the team takes, and I give people implementation worksheets, and they write down all the steps. They have to brainstorm them because you don't brainstorm in order. But you jot down all the steps. The team says, yeah, we're going to have to do this, this, this. And then you put them in order and put time frames to them. And now every other team can see what they're going to be doing and make a contribution to it if they can. And in that, there's accountability because people now realize they're accountable to everybody in the room. Absolutely. Public leader, accountability. You bet. Yeah, the leader doesn't have to be the mommy or the daddy anymore. So <laughs> Also, and no one person really has to carry the whole weight. So I make sure on that worksheet, I, there's a who column. You can't have repeat names. You got to spread the work out. I will say to people um, that um, this, this um, Kathleen is a very experienced uh, facilitator. If you're not familiar with that term, learn about it, learn why it is. So Vital Clarity is your website. And what will people, vitalclarity.com, there's your picture. So what, there's a media, there's a contact piece, there's resources. So what will people find that they need to pay attention to when they come to your website? Well, they'll find a couple things. One, you can learn about the strategic planning process that I use, which I call the full meal deal, because it's really comprehensive. And I also now I'm learning how to create shorter, more abbreviated hybrids for folks who don't need the full meal deal. But they'll also see opportunities for how to get trained in facilitation methods. I have a, a facilitation training tab so I'm partnering with some colleagues and we and and these methods are taught all around the country. So they'll see that. And I also will help people just on phone calls if you need facilitation coaching. And I can help you design a meeting that's going to get you where you want to go. That is very valuable. I studied for a week with McNallis Company in Florida learning, you know, the basic storyboarding stuff. And then part mm -hmm. of the deal was I got to we call it a session design. I got to fax. This is before email. Fax my session design to um, to mm -hmm. my instructor, and then I called up. You know, all eager to get the accolades. And then the first greeting was Hugh, comma. I knew I was in trouble. So you didn't give yourself time to think. So when you talked about thinking, that's the prep that we need to be disciplined in. And so. Kathleen, I have learned so much today, and I've been doing this for three decades, over three decades. So you are a consummate professional in this, and we encourage people to go to your website and learn about it and the tools you have for learning this craft of facilitation. I didn't know about that. That's just so great. So thank you for being our guest today. Do you have a 
a parting tip or a parting thought you'd like to leave people with today? Well, one is what you brought up, which is silence. I just would encourage people to experiment with it and just tell them, you know, give it a shot. When you really want to know what people think, you will demonstrate your commitment to really listening if you'll just be quiet for an uncomfortable amount of time. <laughs> I used to call it the pain, feeling the pain of the pause. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it pays off. So that's just sure. yeah. something to play Great. with. It does. It does. So Kathleen, thank you so much for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you so much, Hugh. And thank you for being here. I'm glad to have met you. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.